Welcome to another episode of the Mind vs. Muscle podcast. What is going on, guys? I am pumped to be doing this podcast because it is the final podcast of 2017. This year went by so quick. It's unbelievable, but um, I'm super grateful, super appreciative, um, and I've just I've experienced so many great things, uh, so many new relationships, traveled a ton, new business adventures, just had so much great just greatness in 2017. I'm super pumped to um, just reflect on it. And what I would suggest everybody doing is a little exercise I actually did myself. Um, I put on some like meditation tunes. Uh, my coach had me do this. So shout out to Coach Steve for that. Um, put on meditation tunes, three minutes. Um, I journaled every single, I just made a fat list of every single awesome thing that happened in 2017. Every single accomplishment. They can be business related. They can be mindset related. They can be relationship related. They can literally be anything. But the key here is simple. Sit down, set a timer, three minutes, journal every single thing that you experienced that was good. Now just sit back and read that. I can almost guarantee you it's going to be more things than you expected to be written on that piece of paper. Which is exactly what happened to me and it made me feel so much more appreciative of myself and everything I have and just building that gratitude. Everybody that listens knows I'm a huge fan of gratitude and self-appreciation and I believe that journaling your gratitude every single day is important. But this was an overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly positive experience for me uh, because I wrote down things that meant so much to me that I did not stop to celebrate and that's the big piece of this, right? Like so many people just – Go by and let victories pass on. They accomplish big things. They accomplish small things. They accomplish a lot in general and they don't stop and just reflect and celebrate that shit. Like give yourself a pat on the back. Give yourself a reward. Like there's too many times in your life that you have accomplished something and you never stopped and actually given yourself kudos for it. So I'm a huge fan of that and I'm guilty of this too, just not celebrating my wins. But I think this is such a great time like use the end of the year to be extremely appreciative of everything that happened and this will fuel 2018 for you because I I say this all the time to clients gratitude is the best motivation you can possibly have gratitude is fuel what you already have will fuel you to get more or make what you already have even better so I just wanted to share that with you guys because that was a huge drill for me that I did at the end of this year and it was so so powerful and being that this is the last podcast of the year I really wanted to share that with you. But today, we got a Q&A. Um, I got a lot of great questions uh, sent in to me via Instagram and Facebook. Um, I posted on Instagram and I posted in the Mind vs. Muscle team page. So once again, if you are not, I say this every time because it's important, guys. If you're not a part of the Mind vs. Muscle team page, get your ass in there. It's such a great place. Um, you get access to me. You get access to Theo. You get access to the community of people who are just trying to spread knowledge, just trying to share ideas. Um, and just to build an awesome community of like-minded individuals motivated to be better. You can find the link to join the Mind vs. Muscle team page in the description slash show notes, whatever it's called, on iTunes. Um, click the link. It will send you to Facebook. You can ask to join and we will probably accept you because if you asked, you're definitely from the podcast. Now, let's get on to the first question. I had a question from Eli James Maddelson. Not sure if this has been covered recently, but can we talk about high GI versus low GI foods? Glycemic index is GI for anybody who does not know. And if it really does matter when talking for fat loss, thank you. So um, I'm sure we have 
talked about this quite a bit. Um, so the way I the way I answered this is simple. Like it does not matter nearly as much as people uh, seem to believe or seem to um, try to uh, put out there, right? Like it's not that big of a deal. It's not the end of the world if you're eating high GI foods. Um, so what I told him is like we got to realize that the tests are uh, based off of digestion absorption rates, right? So how fast is this this how fast is this carbohydrate source? Because it's all based off glucose, right? It's all based off fructose, any type of carbohydrate in general. How fast does this carbohydrate source spike our insulin, spike our blood sugars, and get uh, absorbed essentially, right? Now, we know that low GI foods are things like oatmeal, right? Oatmeal or sweet potato because oatmeal and sweet potato has a little bit of fat in it, a little bit of protein in it, and it has some fiber in it versus white rice. White rice is a high GI food because white rice is pure starch. It's pure glucose. And it doesn't have much protein or fiber in it, and it's going to spike your insulin a little bit faster. It's going to get absorbed a little bit quicker, which is why it makes it, it's white rice is such a great workout carbohydrate, either right before or right after, because it gets absorbed into the muscle glycogen store, uh, storage cells rapidly. Right now, the issue here is simple. Well, if fiber, protein, and fat is what slows the digestion down and creates a lower GI food onto the scale of the index. We got to realize that we can do we can manipulate this with macronutrients. So if I have white rice and then I put some butter on it and maybe four ounces of chicken, grilled chicken, well now I have white rice, which is high GI, super starchy, mixed with a healthy fat source, butter, and lean meat, which is protein. What that's going to do is slow the digestion down and it's going to lower that GI. So what they found is like, yes, high GI foods can be bad if you're sedentary and you're just eating a ton of sugar-based foods. But if you pair them with protein and fats, it's not really a high GI food anymore. Therefore, it doesn't really matter. Um, For that reason, it's important to focus on um, macronutrient pairing, right? Like you you should never really have a meal with just just carbohydrate. And that's what's funny is like uh, my man Charlie commented on this this exact same thing. He said – because I responded to the guy and gave him a really detailed answer in the team page. And Charlie said, great post, Cody. My two cents uh, for everybody – Anyone who eats brown rice by itself for a snack is a grade A psychopath, and I could not agree more. Sorry if I offended anybody by, because you eat brown rice by itself. But at the end of the day, we got to think about like lifestyle perspective, right? And application of this stuff. Like, who just eats brown rice? Now, oatmeal, I could see that some people eat just oatmeal, but in general, I wouldn't recommend it, right? Every meal should be a complete meal. We should have some kind of fiber, some kind of protein, um, some kind of. Uh, fat source in it but even then like those snacks that some people do tend to consume are typically low GI like oatmeal. I know a lot of people who just eat oatmeal for breakfast which I wouldn't suggest eating by itself but at the end of the day, again, it's a low GI food. Um, So in general, when it comes to fat loss, I do not think it matters. I think it is splitting hairs and I think if somebody is purely eating a ton of high GI carbohydrates for every meal and they are not consuming any protein and fats with their meals, I would just focus on them adding in those other macronutrients to make that high GI food a little bit more low GI. But essentially the reason we're doing it isn't to make the food low GI. It's just to create more balance in their nutrition and their macronutrient ratio. Um, So again, this is splitting hairs when it comes to fat loss. It does not really matter. The only time I think it does matter is really workout training. You should actually have high GI foods around your training um, to fuel your, your performance a little bit better. But other than that, I don't think it matters too much. All right, my next question is from Michelle Mason, double M. Ways you get 
and more importantly, retain clients. I've been a trainer for seven years and this topic still always interests me. Man, um, that's a loaded question, but I think uh, I think it really, really depends, right? So let's start with keeping clients because I think that one's easy to uh, answer. Do good work. Like I have a lot of clients that are probably listening to this and I have a lot of clients uh, out there who will contest this as well. I'm here for them. I listen to them. I respond as fast as I can. When they do not update me, I check in on them. I reach out. And this goes beyond uh, just online coaching, right? Like I still have a couple in-person clients. And even when I was 100% in-person with clients, I still checked on them outside of the gym. Like that is such a key component to being a good coach. When they walk out that door, it does not mean your coaching duties are over. And that's probably the biggest tip I can give you to retaining clients because clients want to – people want to be heard. People want to be listened to and people want to be cared for. They – like think about it. They know what to do to get results. And when they do what they know, they get what they want, right? They know broccoli is healthier than Pop-Tarts. They know that going to the gym is good for them. They're not doing it. That's why you are hired. Now, eventually, you might be hired just because they've created a good relationship with you. They specifically enjoy your training programs, so on and so forth. But the number one reason I believe coaching is such a valuable business is because accountability and support is exactly what people need. I truly believe that that's the number one key component I bring to the table to to retain clients is just brutal and nonstop accountability and support. And I cannot preach that enough. Um, Now, when a client gets more advanced, when I have athletes or when I have people doing specific nutrition prescriptions, dialing in to get to really lean levels, which I do have a good amount of people doing, then there becomes the opponent uh, component of adjustments, right? Like it's really hard to adjust your nutrition prescription. It's really hard to adjust your training program um, solo by yourself without a biased opinion. So I do believe that there's a lot of valuable value in adjusting along the way from a coaching perspective. But the number one thing is accountability. So if you want to retain more clients, just do great work, right? Like I always tell people like people are so fucking worried about getting new clients And they're not even focusing on retaining their current ones. Why look for new money when you already have money coming in? Why try to find new people to help when you're already helping tons of people, right? So like look at the people you're already working with and help them with as much passion and and just honesty as you can and educate them. That is a huge thing for retainment. There's more, there's more shit than I realized. Like retaining a client comes down to education, right? Educating a client builds compliance in a client. And that's a fact. So if you can teach your client what you're doing and why you're getting results, they're going to be so much more grateful and loyal to you. They're going to stay around longer because they're going to see results and they're going to understand the process. You're, you're not a magician trying to hide his tricks, right? So I think that's huge. Just, just do good work and just continue to do good work and be there for them. Don't just be there at the gym. Be there outside the gym. Give them support. Um, and then as far as getting new clients, I think it really, really depends on what you do. So if you own a gym, I think that you need to look into internet marketing. I think that Facebook advertising is great. I think email marketing is great. I think that um, looking at SEO on your website is great. I think like Google AdWords are great. I think Groupon is a huge one for people who own gyms. Like there's so many different ways, even like mailing, right? Mail, like that's coming back in the marketing uh, world a lot, right? Go back and like, no matter what 
where you're at, whether you're an online trainer, you're uh, a trainer for somebody else at a gym, or you're an in-person or you own a gym, go back and listen to the episode I did with Joey Persia because that one has gold when it comes to marketing. But at the end of the day, I just think I truly believe that you should be looking into internet marketing. Everything is online now. Everything is on Facebook, Instagram, um, going through email, stuff like that. I do believe you should be running ads. I do believe that you should be marketing really heavily if you are owning a gym. Because if you own a gym, you need to get people who are not in that gym just looking at your gym in general. Now, they might see your gym and not purchase a membership or personal training for three to six months, and that's okay. Get eyes on your gym, on your facility. That's the number one thing that you need to do. Um, And then again, treat your current clients like gold because they're going to tell their friends. Period. Referrals are such a powerful thing, especially for in-person training. Like You have a gym and you're training people who would love to train with their friends. They would much rather train with their friends than just by themselves. So encourage referrals. Like build your referral base. Try to get like as many clients as you can through the clients you already have. I think that's a really powerful one for in, uh, in-person trainers um, and gym owners. Now if you do not own a gym but you're training people at a gym, it kind of depends. If you work for somebody um, – and you're an employed trainer at that gym only, then I think it's important to make sure that the owner of the gym is doing this marketing for you and then you're just taking advantage of it Um, big time. I think that if you are a trainer who is just renting space, I think that you need to apply a lot of the same principles that I just spoke of with being a a gym owner. But the only difference is is you're not going to market the gym. You're going to market your own personal brand. Of coaching them. Um, I work with a couple guys, uh, mentorship style, uh, which is something I'm actually going to be launching in uh, 2018 as I'm working on things. Me and Jason Phillips are kind of putting some ideas together for my own mentorship program. Um, and if so if anybody listening wants to dig deeper into this stuff and they want to really learn the tricks of the trade, um, it's a great tool. It's, it's going to be a great access point to have me help you along the way. Um, online training, in-person training, whatever it may be, just getting in the field, program design, nutrition coaching, um, and it, it could potentially lead to more within my uh, world of things, um, and I'll just leave it at that. But if you're interested in that, um, go ahead and DM me because I'm going to be launching stuff to that very, very shortly um, in the near future, um, and this is your chance to jump on it. But that being said, if you're a trainer who rents a space, um, you can treat it the same way. Like I have a couple guys that are in that same exact position, and what we do is we literally just market as if we own a gym. Except we are marketing ourselves, right? You're marketing your own personal brand um, and then training them within that facility, obviously. If you are an online trainer, I think that you need to crush organic content. I have a very successful online coaching business because of this exact reason. I've been crushing online uh, online content, free content for the last five to seven years. Right, and it's obviously I, I do way more now than I've ever done, but it's because I just built into it. Right, I write a blog a week. I'm on YouTube. I'm on this podcast. I'm on Instagram every day, multiple times a day. I'm on Facebook every day, multiple times a day. I have Facebook groups. I do email newsletters every single week. So the key to really growing in the online space is honestly just providing as much free content as you can. My goal is to help millions of people through my free content. Like I literally want to look at my Google Analytics and know that I've reached millions of people and they have gotten results simply from reading or listening to my content. Now, the reason that is so powerful for getting more clients is because online training, you need to build trust, right? When you own a gym in, let's say you're in a, like I live in a little city called Milton right now. Um, if I want to get people to train with me in Milton in person, 
it's a lot easier because I can target people on Facebook that live in Milton. And when they see that I'm a trainer that lives in their hometown, it automatically on a psychological basis builds some trust. So mentally they already trust me whether they subconsciously know it or not. That's going to allow me to sell them a lot easier. Now online, I have a client in Chile, for example. Uh, I have a client in uh, Israel. I have a client in Iceland. I have a client in Florida, New York, uh, Wisconsin, all these random places. There's no reason for them to trust me except for the fact that they can scroll for hours on how much free value I've given them and I've shared my own story so many times. So if you want to build that trust and then get more clients online, the the real like moneymaker there is going to be telling your story, being – 100% transparent with everything you post and then just being extremely consistent with everything you post. So just constantly putting out good info. Now, for across the board, whether you're a trainer, a gym owner, or an online coach, I truly believe that regardless, you should be putting out free content no matter what. The only difference is, is who you're going to be targeting. Um, because at the end of the day, like, and Tom Bilyeu is the one that I heard say this, and he is, if you don't know who he is and you're an entrepreneur, you need to get on that. But he pretty much said like the answer to successful business in the future is the who are, the person that's going to win in, in business is the person who can give away the most free shit. Like literally word for word what he said and it's true. The more free things I can give you, the better. Um, so I think that's a huge, huge way to get more clients. Um, Michelle Mason had another question. Her second question was, I know how important walking is for hormonal health, knee, etc. However, when it's super cold outside and you have little kids and getting out isn't a viable option, what's good? Another good low to what's a good? I can't read today, guys. I'm sorry. What's another good go to low impact activity? I train pretty heavy three to four days a week and walk almost every day. Would doing something like get ups or swings be a good option if walking isn't an option? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a pretty basic thing. I think low impact movement is really key for not only staying lean, but just for, uh, not really like as much hormonal health, like you mentioned, but honestly just health, right? Cardiovascular health, um, respiratory health, just general well being, and also joint health. Um, you need to move your joints on a regular basis. So I do think get-ups are great. I think you could, those could be, a, I mean, get-ups are tough. Like if you're doing weighted get-ups every single day constantly, I think that would just be a little bit too much volume. Um, same thing with swings. If you do too heavy of swings all the time, I think that would be good. But I do think that like, let's say you did, um, a, a smart way to do that would be like, um, every day you did 10 get-ups body weight, plain and simple, super easy, 10 per side that takes you less than five minutes and you're done. Right. Um, and you do that every day, one to two times a day for swings. Maybe you do, um, 50 to 100 swings per day and it's just sporadic. So you have a kettlebell at your house and you go do 10 swings and then you walk away, right? I did the same thing with chin-ups when I wanted a bigger back. I put up a chin-up bar in my house on one door and every time I walked down the hall, I had to do uh, five chin-ups. So every day I was doing anywhere between five to 80 chin-ups, which really didn't hurt me on a volume uh, spectrum or a central nervous system fatigue spectrum because it took me all day to do that. So it wasn't like I was cranking out and it wasn't tiring. It wasn't overwhelming. It was easy, but it was a lot of extra volume that built to muscle. So it's the same concept here. Like if you just did a couple swings, um, you could also just stand more, right? Like figure out a way to like work on your desktop, watch TV, um, do calls, stand up more. So, um, and then obviously if you live in an apartment, maybe they have a gym at your apartment. Like I know I have a, like we're in the process of buying a house right now. So I won't have this for long, but, um, we have an apartment gym right now. So I go literally like I take 
calls with new clients or uh, leads who are inquiring about my coaching or current clients, whatever it may be, I usually have at least one or two phone calls per day that I need to take, at least sometimes up to five. Um, and I go down to the treadmill for them. Like I try to schedule them around the same time. And sometimes I'll walk for 30 minutes straight because I'm just on the phone. Um, so that's an easy way for me to do it. Um, I'll stand up when I read in the morning instead of sitting down and getting tired again. So that's an easy way. But the main thing is just moving, right? And if you're just looking for health, you can literally just wake up and do 30 squats, do three sets of 10, playing super easy and just get it done. All right. Let me take a sip of my organic coffee. If you're not drinking organic coffee, guys, you should. It's the most pesticide um, and chemically sprayed crop in the entire fucking world. And it tastes better too. Anyway. Beth, you know what, Beth? And this is a shout out to Beth. She's my client. She's crushing it right now. Um, really pumped about her results and her patience. She is such a great example of somebody who was like, okay, I really want to continue to perform well. She's a high-level basketball player, uh, but I really want to chase health, and I want to get as lean as possible, and she's not in a hurry. So we're doing things so unbelievably properly that she is burning fat, losing a good amount of weight, but at a slow, steady pace, so it's pure fat. She's improving if at least maintaining but i think she's improving her performance every week um and she's actually targeting like hormonal health so she's doing so good across the spectrum and it's extremely hard to tack off each of those goals but we're doing it in a manner that's really really efficient because we're not slashing her calories down so she's losing body fat at a pretty high level of calories for a female which is fucking awesome so shout out to beth Beth wants to know, tips for training older adults, mid-60s, with arthritis in their knees and back. So, um, I would say, excuse me, I would say tips for training adults in, in any age, I would say as soon as you hit 40, you should stop going below 8 reps for 90% of your training. There's some guys that are like, you know, 40, 50s that want to trap bar deadlift heavy. That's a safe movement. I'm okay with going 3 to 5 reps on very little, like, very rare occasions, but it's never above 80% of their one rep max. It's, you know what I mean? Like, it's just pointless. It's, you got to look at uh, risk versus reward. So with older adults, I stay in the eight to 20 rep range, no matter what, it's going to be way safer for joint health. They're not going to have too much load on their spine. Um, they're not going to have too much load on their knees for that matter either. Um, so I, I really recommend staying in those higher rep ranges. And I, I recommend using strictly bands, uh, suspension training stuff like TRXs and stuff, um kettlebells and dumbbells like no barbell work really like very rarely you can do i mean you can do some barbell sumo deadlifts every once in a while um but there's no point in doing a bunch of that shit like and it's not saying that no six-year-olds can lift a barbell that's not what i'm saying but at the end of the day it would be smarter to stick to dumbbell work band work trx work kettlebell work sandbag body weight stuff um that's going to be way safer on their joints it's going to encourage good movement patterns which is the big reason why i want to say that because um you don't have to force anything right these uh, modalities of training, these equipment tools of training, allow your body to move within the ranges of motions that it's built to move in. So I highly recommend doing that. Um, and then unilateral work would be smart too. And I think like the big thing there too is like you got to like I th- it's funny to me because when people start getting of older age, they start removing explosive work. They start doing very minimalist style like machines and shit like that. But when I have anybody who's over the age of 50, I actually do more explosive work at the beginning. I do 
uh, and it's really easy explosive stuff. So I'll have them do a bodyweight squat to a box and then explosively stand up. I will have them do jam ball slams. I will do have them do jam ball throws so they're explosively throwing as far as they can because we have to remember that the central nervous system starts to tire out as we get older. Our, our hormones start to tire out too and our reaction time starts to die out. One of the number one causes of death for older uh, individuals is falling. And there's been many cases and many studies to prove that if you can increase uh, the reactiveness by doing explosive training, they will be more likely to catch themselves before they fall. So on on top of just a health perspective, like we want to save people's lives. So I definitely recommend doing some explosive work in really safe manners, like just using a ball. Like it's super easy. A, a, A jam ball is a ball that's full of sand if you don't know and you just throw it as hard as you can explosively into a wall, down the turf, whatever it may be. But I highly recommend those things. Um, and then other than that, just, just higher rep range stuff. Uh, she has a second question. If you haven't recorded yet, well, I'm recording right now. Uh, also curious how to build programs for people with heart conditions, a fib in particular, how to carefully progress and improve without overdoing it and making matters worse. I think this really, really depends on the individual. So I don't feel 100% comfortable giving too much detail on this. But what I will say is investing in something like an HRV um, heart rate monitor system is probably going to be a really good bet. I would also have a serious conversation with them. Like I've had a client with this uh, similar situation um, and we had a conversation about what happens when there's an issue, how she handles that issue um, and how we're going to make sure that she's not going past her limit so the issue doesn't arise. Um, So there was some situations where it would happen and she would have to lay down and just calm herself down and just wait and that was totally cool. Um, But we made sure that we weren't overly intensity – like we weren't driving intensity over the top. Like there's no reason to be crushing intensity with them. So you might want to drop the intensity a little bit. Focus more on like um, slow tempos and muscle contraction and being aware of the muscle contraction so they feel the burn and stuff like that. So they have something else to focus on versus trying to go as hard as you can and and strive for a sweat. Jessica Evans asked – I know you have addressed this in part before, but can you go into some more of the science and debates behind the one gram of protein per pound of body weight? I have read a number of conflicting studies on this, so would appreciate some depth science-nerdy discussion. Well, I am your nutrition nerd here to uh, break it down for you. So um, honestly, this one's actually really simple. So one gram per pound of body weight was um, just basically studied over time, right? Like, and it's actually a little bit less. So what they would say is for like good strength and performance, I believe it's in between 0.6 to 0.8 grams per pound. Um, And then for like muscle maintenance, when in a deficit, you need to go one gram per pound all the way up to 1.2 grams per pound. Now you can go up to like, 1.8 grams per pound without any like serious detriment or health but I will say it's going to be tough on your gut it's going to be like you're going to be gassy as hell your digestion is going to be shit so I wouldn't recommend ever going above 1.2 grams per pound Uh, but the one gram per pound if you couldn't tell by now is just the average right so most studies said 0.6 to 0.8 and that's in like most athletic populations Um, some studies on natural bodybuilders were done at one gram per pound and then 1.2 grams per pound went in the deficit and what they show with those um, higher levels is that when in a caloric deficit is it is easier for your body to maintain um, 
your muscle tissue if you raise up that protein just a little bit. So the only reason to go to 1.2 grams per pound is really just if you're in a serious calorie deficit, like if you're getting ready for a show or a photo shoot, and you need to bring that up so you can uh, make sure that you're maintaining muscle throughout that cut because nobody wants to lose a bunch of weight and be skinny fat. Uh, One gram per pound is kind of in that middle range, right? So if you're at maintenance level calories or you're in a small, small deficit, it's probably a little bit safer to go one gram per pound. Um, It's going to make sure you're maintaining muscle. It's going to keep your satiety up a little bit higher. Um, and the extra calories from protein, we got to remember, it's it's so hard for your body to store body fat as protein. They did a study that men were consuming uh, two grams per pound of body weight. And they didn't, they actually, I, I believe they actually lost more body fat than the groups who were uh, just a little bit more body fat than the groups who were consuming less. Um, but calories were equated. Now, it does wreak havoc on your gut, so I don't think that's worth it. Uh, but it does show that you can have one gram per pound of body weight, and you're not going to store any of that protein from fat. That's a fact. So it helps to keep your calories up through protein when going into a deficit. Um, and the other reason is honestly because if you notice, all the studies are just below or just above one gram. So it's pretty safe for people to say, "Hey, like consume your body weight in protein." That's an easy marker to hit. Um, it's an, also an easy one. Like if you weigh 250 pounds and your natural body weight should be about 200 pounds. Well, we can just easily say, hey, you should probably shoot for your goal, your true body weight, your goal weight, which is 200 grams uh, per protein per day. So it's easy. It's an easy way to do that as well. Like what's your goal weight? Okay, cool. Consume that in protein. Now, it doesn't mean like if you're a 150-pound scrawny dude and you want to be a 200-pound meathead that you should be consuming 200 grams of protein. That's kind of pointless. Um, I would – if you're 150 pounds and you want to really build muscle, I would maybe consume 160 grams. When you get up to 160 pounds – consume 170 pounds like that's okay that's not too much um but yeah so those are the main reasons uh and and again like protein is the most satiating nutrient so you're going to stay more full through protein uh, than you would through carbs and fats because it's more of a satiating nutrient and the thermic effect of food is a little bit higher meaning your body will burn a little bit more calories by consuming protein which may be why when we have a higher protein diet we tend to burn a little bit more fat because we are burning calories so if we look at 0.8 grams per pound being ideal well technically if we consume a gram per pound of body weight we are burning about 0.2 actually i think it's 0.25 of that would be because i believe it's 25 percent is the thermic effect um so you'd really be uh absorbing 0.8 grams per pound because your body's burning uh 25 of that protein as just calories right so that's good um so there's no crazy science. It's just the smartest thing you can do for all around physical um, body composition changes and performance and recovery. Jessica has another question. Everybody decided to ask two questions today, so that's cool. Also, I'm working a push-pull legs split. Tips on doing a six-day split with the first half focused on high load and second on high volume slash intensity? Question mark. My goal is to cut 5 to 10 pounds of fat right now while maintaining muscle strength as much as possible. So typically, I believe this is a pretty high-volume training program. Um, So in your case, I would definitely be consuming 1 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight uh, in protein because you're in a cut and you're going to be training quite a bit. Six days a week of that much volume is quite a bit in – I, I do – I usually don't recommend six days a week for people unless the training sessions are less than an hour long and they're not going over the top with volume because I do believe people forget about recovery. Um, and we need to remember like training is a stressor on the body um, and recovery is the adaptation on the body. Now, 
when we build muscle, when we burn fat, that's our body adapting. So if we're training, training, training and we're barely recovering, we are stressing, stressing, stressing and we are barely adapting. So that's a very, very important key to have here. So I would suggest 1.2 grams per pound of body weight. Now, um, one thing I will add to the protein topic since we're talking about this high volume training program is I don't know how big you are, Jess. So um, one of the reasons why 1 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight can actually be smarter for some individuals is if they're extremely light. Okay, So one of the reasons why 1 gram per pound is usually ideal is because it allows us to consume anywhere between 25 to 40 grams of protein per meal about 3 to 5 times a day, minimum 3, but I would suggest usually 4 to 5 meals a day. That is going to top out and maximize muscle protein synthesis, which is a key in losing fat and building muscle. So if you're a 100-pound female and you have four meals a day, you're barely hitting that, right? So sometimes I will have people doing a little bit above their body weight in those cases. You might be in this case. I don't know uh, what size you are, but if you're training that often and you're cutting, it's pretty pretty uh, serious. So um, the way I would set up a push-pull leg split is pr- – I don't really – Yours doesn't really make sense when it says focused on high load and then second on high volume slash intensity um, the, because the way you would set it up is actually low volume, high load or we got to remember that load is another word for intensity. So you would go push-pull legs um, and those would be high volume, low intensity meaning you're doing like 8 to 20 rep range. You're doing hypertrophy style training and then the second push-pull legs would actually be um, the opposite. High intensity, low volume. So you're doing like six sets of three to six, right? You're doing four sets of three to six. You're doing less total volume, but you're pushing more weight, which is intensity. So that's how I would split it up. That's also how I would split up a push or an upper lower split. Um, Same idea. You're training each muscle group two to three days a week, and you're splitting those up in a low intensity, high volume day, and then a high intensity, low volume day. Um, So that's going to kind of be a way of doing some like daily undulating periodization, which is basically just saying you're undulating the type of intensities you're doing throughout the week. Um, You can even do that in three different ways. Like right now, I'm doing a full body split. So I do three days a week of strength training, accessory work. Um, They're all full body. So I'm hitting everything. uh, But one day is in the like four to six rep range, pretty heavy stuff. One day is in the eight to 10 rep range. And then one day is in the 12 to 20 rep range. Um, So I'm hitting each muscle three times and I'm hitting them in a way like that. Um, So, and I also do two days of CrossFit, obviously. So I take one day rest, Um, two days rest, sorry. Um, so I would just, I would just encourage you to, to be careful with that. I would probably go, uh, push, pull legs, rest, push, pull legs, rest, push, pull legs, rest. It's going to offset the way your, um, schedule looks like you're split throughout the week and that's fine. You're going to be better off doing that recovery wise when you're four weeks into the cut. I promise you that. All right. So Christine, uh, Christiana, I pronounced your name wrong last time too. fund me. Uh, nothing too serious this time. I just want to know why some men don't train legs. Laugh out loud. I see some men in the gym training chest, arms, back, shoulders, but never their legs. And I can't understand why. Well, as a guy, I will tell you, um, training your upper body just feels good. There's something about a nice, good pump. Your shirt gets tight. Your arms feel swole. Like, I don't know. I personally love training upper body. Um, but I would suggest obviously training legs. I think that's a very important thing. Um, but yeah, I can't – I mean shit, I can't give you the answer for that. I don't know. Go up to them and suggest they train legs. This is why honestly I prefer a full body split um, It's because it's just easier. I love 
I don't, I don't enjoy training legs one day so hard that my legs are just smashed. I would rather train them um, multiple days a week with lower total volume and just consistently get a pump um, and just consistently work them. I feel better when I hit my legs three days a week, honestly. And, and with CrossFit, shit, I'm hitting them four or five days a week technically in just little amounts. Um, so I had another uh, – I got two more questions. One from James Cross. He said, how did you get sponsored by Reebok One? What's the criteria and how did you make it happen? Um, I know Charlie's listening to this. Charlie was a big influence in that obviously. Um, honestly, it's just – this goes back to what I was talking about with uh, getting new clients and retaining clients. And it really, really comes down to providing valuable content, right? Like I've just been pushing out so much content that people notice it, right? And Charlie is one of those people. He noticed that. He noticed the podcast. We met in person. Um, I actually offered him a ride and then found out he was following a lot of my content um, because it's Uber. So this is funny. Actually, this is a good story. So Charlie came out to Seattle for the seminar at Vigor um, not long ago and uh, I didn't realize – who he was standing out there because he um, we had a brief actually we did we had a brief conversation before that about nutrition he told me he followed all my stuff so on and so forth and it was super good conversation I think we were talking about gut health and stuff Um, then I saw him outside waiting and waiting and waiting I walk outside and I'm like yo like are you waiting for something he was waiting for an uber and the uber was just fucking up and getting lost or whatever it may be and I was like yo I'm going that way let me give you a ride so he hopped in the jeep we drove I drove him wherever it needed to be we had a great conversation and it was just a connection I made, right? Like um, he knew me from, again, social media podcasting. We connected and it was great. Later down the road, I made some connections with Jason Phillips, um, who is a mentor of mine now. And he actually um, is sponsored by Reebok One. Well, Charlie saw that I ordered some shoes. He told me that his buddy, I think from high school or something, works for Reebok One as a rep and he was going to send him my info. So the, he sent the dude my info. Um, I'm assuming the dude liked my website. He liked my stuff because he reached out to me and told me that he liked everything I was doing. We should get on a call. Got on a call with him. Um, and funny thing was is this guy just happened to be in New York at, an, at a Reebok event with Jason Phillips at the time um, when Charlie sent him my info. He brought it up. Jason was like, dude, he's a great guy. I highly suggest you reach out to him. And it was just one of those things, man. Like make connections. Um, good things will happen. Like that's honestly what it was. He told me that we want to work together. I was all in. I know they have some big things coming in the future, which I'm excited about. Um, and uh, and they sent me some gear. I love their gear, honestly, for training. Um, like everybody listening knows I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm a Nike guy at heart. I love Adidas when it comes to like NMDs. I'm just a sneakerhead. Like I love them all. Now I have a couple of pairs of Reebok Classics that I love too. Uh, but when it comes to actually training and, and wearing clothes inside the gym when I am working out, I honest to God will go with Reebok any day because they are making the best product for in-gym training gear. Um, and yeah, the connections were just made from doing the right thing, knowing the right people and just, just communicating, man, just connections. Um, and if – I got to make a shout out now. Shit, we're talking about it. If you are a trainer or a coach or a gym owner or anybody uh, who is in the training industry, um, this is only for trainers. So I'm sorry for everybody else who wants to join this Reebok One. You actually get a 40% discount on your first purchase. You'll get 25% off all your purchases after that, which is crazy. And then you'll be connected to a network of people um, that are going to be having some big influences in the future and some great opportunities. So I highly suggest you sign up. You can do so by visiting ReebokOne.com slash boom, boom. And the link is in the description below. All right. I got one more question. This is the perfect one to leave off with. What trends do you see coming in 2018? So 
What I see coming in 2018 is I, I truly see uh, – so one thing I've mentioned a couple times that I see coming out uh, and I don't know if this is – me and Jason Phillips were just talking about this actually. Um, so watch out for the episode next week coming out with him. It's really, really good um, interview with him. One of the things I thought I was going to see a lot of and I, I'm hoping I see a lot of but I don't know if this is just what I hope or what is actually going to happen is individualization is going to go through the roof. Um, I think right now people are finally starting to realize that done-for-you meal plans and generic training programs usually don't work, especially with nutrition. Like I'm a very, very big believer in individualization with tr- uh, nutrition. I do believe it's important with training as well. Uh, but I just I, I know that individualized coaching is the key to success. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that because people who have been doing it for years are starting to pop out more. Um, and it's and it's starting to be be spoken about, right? Um, so I'm hoping that that goes through the roof with training, nutrition, meditation, recovery, everything. Um, but one trend I see growing, um, is nootropics. I think the, everybody's trying to train their brain now. I think nootropics are going to go through the roof and I think everybody's going to be jumping on that. And then the other thing I see is, um, recovery. I see recovery stuff just continuing to blow up because we're in a society of over intensified training modalities, whether it's soul cycle, whether it's boot camps, whether it's, um, CrossFit. Um, I just see a lot of people are just doing too much and they're not spending time in recovery and I see that being an issue and I think more people are going to grab onto that. I also see a lot of cryotherapy, dry needling, float tanks, all these different recovery strategies coming out um, and I think it's just going to continue. So I see that happening a lot. So those are my predictions for 2018. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you all and I will see you next time. If you love the Mind vs. Muscle podcast, want more free content, and you want to support the movement, share this podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review. To get your questions answered on the next episode, see the show notes for our social media handles and hashtag Mind vs. Muscle.